everyone. It's Hamish from the Young Investors Podcast. Myself and Brandon are excited to bring you your weekly rundown of the latest business and investing news from around the world. A quick reminder before we get started, any advice provided by Brandon is general and does not consider your financial situation, needs, or objectives, so consider whether it's appropriate for you. Brandon van der Kolk is authorized to provide general financial product advice in Australia and is authorized representative number 130795 of Guideway Financial Services Proprietary Limited, AFSL number 420367. Please see the description box for Brandon's financial services guide. Past performance is not a reliable indication of future investment returns. But with that said, let's get into another episode of the Young Investors Podcast. All right, guys, welcome back to yet another episode. Hamish Hodder, what's going on? How hello, is hello. your dog? Oh, yeah. I, did we talk about this last week? I don't think we did. No, we but, didn't. Um, yeah, while I was away, uh, my dog uh, fully tore her ACL so <laughs> in her knee. So, um, Ouch. Yeah, pretty crazy. Yeah, she. Um, I guess she's an athlete. She's. A <laughs> it's kind of funny because she, she just did it by just jumping off the couch, which is like, it's just like crazy how, oh, really? how, that, how that could happen. But yeah. Um, so yeah, she's, she's actually just had surgery yesterday. Um, uh, I haven't, oh, I haven't right. picked her up yet. She stayed overnight, um, in, in the, in the vet. So, uh, yeah, I guess we'll see. It's a, it's wow. a long recovery. It's, uh, she has to be in like a little crate for, I think close to a month, um, with like little, wow. just very minor kind of, uh, ramping up walking and then yep. full recovery is like two to three months. So yeah. Wow. It's, uh, it's long. Yeah, bummer. But yeah. she she got through the surgery okay? Yes, yeah, yeah. Surgery all all went well. Nice. Yeah. Went well for her. Didn't go well for my wallet. Um, but <laughs> No. As you might expect. Yeah, thank uh, you, pet insurance. Well, pet insurance, I thought it would cover more. It covered a reasonable amount of it. it covered more than half of it. But um but yeah, okay. it's 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 pretty expensive. Um I'll just say wow. that. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Oh, Bummer. Blown a hole in your pocket. There's your emergency fund. Yeah. Build it back up. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. when you're just when you're getting all the views in YouTube and YouTube was paying you nicely, bang. Of of course. Yeah. Two yeah. steps forward, yeah. one step back. Yeah, of course. Of course it happens like your that. Your dog's ACL blows up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolute classic. Oh well. All right. Well, guys, welcome back. We are doing the news today. Mm-hmm. Um we got a couple of good bits of feedback, people enjoying the new kind of format. So we are going to continue with that format, at least for now, until someone gets annoyed at us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so today, uh, yeah, we are going to start with the news first. I know we did, I think we released the news second uh, yeah. last week, but flip it around, news comes first. So we've got a little bit to talk about uh, China GDP, um, what happened there for the fourth quarter. Uh, NVIDIA has a new patent as well. Mm. And then you're talking about corporate debt because it's on the rise. Yep. And, uh, and do we finally have a conclusion to the Apple Epic Games saga or is that still just an update? Well, yes and no. Um, we do, yeah. So there's there's a conclusion that, uh, that happened this week and then there's another development that I just noticed uh, no. kind of taking place related to Apple and that whole App Store situation, which we'll uh, also talk about. Right. So oh, let's get into it. Yeah. With that said, today's episode is brought to you by Seeking Alpha, your one-stop shop for stock analysis, market data, and news. Access expert analysis and news for thousands of stocks. View buy, hold, and sell ratings from members, Wall Street analysts, and Seeking Alpha's own algorithm. Screen for stocks using a variety of fundamental and technical analysis metrics. Access 10 years of financial data and company filings. 
and manage your portfolio by tracking your investments with price alerts so you never miss a buying opportunity again. Click the link in the episode description or head directly to seekingalpha.me forward slash young investors to try Seeking Alpha free for seven days. All right, Hamish, where shall we start? I'll talk about China because they just missed their fourth quarter GDP estimates. Right. Um, and in the same uh, in the same release, they also have resumed posting their youth unemployment data after suspiciously stopping uh, a little mm. while ago. So, <laughs> yeah, I wonder why. It's gone over 20%. Uh, we must stop. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, so China, they missed their fourth quarter GDP estimates on Wednesday uh, while they resumed reporting the youth unemployment rate for young, uh, yeah, for young people, obviously, youth unemployment. Uh, gross <laughs> domestic product uh, or GDP grew 5.2% in October to December from a year earlier, data from the National Bureau of Statistics uh, showed quickening from 4.9% in the third quarter, but missing the 5.3% forecast in a Reuters poll. So still, right. I don't know, I feel like that's, that's still pretty impressive, 5.2% yeah. GDP growth in a year. Yeah, they're, uh, they're still doing pretty well. Not too shabby, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're still one of the economies globally that still clearly has a significant amount of, I would imagine, long-term growth if they continue on this kind of path that they've been on for, what, two, three decades now um since i've kind of shifted how they deal with the economy um so yeah yeah so gdp growth for the full year was 5.2 percent slightly more than the official target but the recovery was far shakier than analysts and investors expected with a deepening property crisis mounting deflationary risks rather uh, and tepid demand casting a pall over the outlook for this year so to put things in perspective as well, I want to say, so 5.2%, put things in perspective, the American economy expanded and annualized 4.9% uh, in the third quarter of 2023. Uh, Australia was 2.1% from September 2022 to September 2023 as well. So right. um, they also gave a, a few more, we have some a few more detailed statistics as well. So retail sales grew by 7.4% in December from a year ago. Uh, missing expectations for 8% growth. Uh, industrial production rose by 6.8% in December from a year earlier, beating forecasts of 6.6% growth. Uh, this is quite interesting. Fixed asset investment for 2023 rose by 3%, a touch above the predicted 2.9% increase. Uh, but within fixed asset investment, real estate dropped by 9.6% in 2023. Uh, investment in infrastructure rose by 5.9%, while that in manufacturing grew by 6.5%. So right. I thought on the topic of real estate, we'll kind of add a little bit more flavor. Uh, China's December um, new home prices fell at the fastest pace in nearly nine years, marking wow. the sixth straight month of declines, NBS data showed. So property sales by floor area fell 8.5% for the year while new construction starts plunged 20.4%. That's crazy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, So their um, their real estate sector is still suffering. Yeah, I'm trying to remember exactly when a few of those very large uh, Chinese development companies went under. I think it was, I don't think it was last year. I think maybe it was in 2022 was when things started to... I think that's when they had some problems, but I think Evergrande went bust last year. It was last year. Yeah, maybe maybe it was early last year. Yeah, so they've certainly, um, you know, seen a very difficult real estate market and, um, 
yeah, the, the real estate cycles can be quite long. If you have big collapses, um, you know, big vacancies and, and big debts that need to be, you know, rolled over it, it can take a long time for development to spin back up. So yeah, that is a crazy stat mm. um, that you just read mm. out there. The construction starts plunging 20%. That's pretty significant. Yeah, it will have flow-on effects. You're right. Uh, online retail sales of physical goods rose by 8.4%, accounting for nearly 28% of overall retail sales. So um, that is promising. Uh, the Statistics Bureau also said retail sales in services surged by 20% in 2023 from a year ago. Hmm. So good news there. Um, and yes, we also have China commenting on their youth unemployment crisis. Hmm. Um, so excluding people still in school, the unemployment rate for young people aged 16 to 24 was 14.9%, uh, while the rate in cities in December was 5.1%. So the Bureau had temporarily suspended the release of younger of the younger age group's unemployment rate in summer, citing the need to reassess calculation methods. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, when the number gets high, yeah. you, you, you reassess, Yeah. <laughs> Hang on a second. When that, the number that, that gets too right. high, you're calculating it wrong. Exa- exactly. And we need to reassess how that, to calculate it. It can't be right. It can't possibly be right. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so funny. Yeah. Um, it's it's kind of like how for the longest time it's like, what constitutes a recession? Oh, two quarters of negative GDP mm. growth. No, no, no. We go. We no. That's not. That's no. That's not <laughs> it. I know that we have had two quarters of negative GDP growth in a row. Okay, but that's not how we calculate it these days. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the same thing can be even <laughs> said for inflation. There's a there's a there's a website called Shadow Inflation Statistics that looks at if you measure US inflation the way that it was calculated back in the 80s and it actually just tracks it because the actual methodology methodology that goes into some of the numbers in inflation has changed a lot. Uh, and it's actually been very deflationary mm. some of their changes, so it's quite astounding to look at uh, how the measurement has changed and how it makes inflation look actually better than it probably is, or at least better than how it was previously measured. So, you know, fiddling with measuring measurements, uh, especially as it pertains to the economy is and, and governments is not something that's new. Um, yeah. I remember when you told me that, you told me that that's uh, the shadow inflation stuff and how they changed how they calculate inflation over time. Yeah. And I remember you telling me at the time, like, yeah, sure. It might it might say nine point one percent, but if you use this shadow inflation, it's like twenty percent yeah. inflation right now. Yeah. yeah, like higher than what we saw in the uh, what America saw in the seventies. Yeah, we did not see it. We were not born. <laughs> no, no, exactly. And I think now I checked the other day. I think the shadow stat says that U.S. inflation is about I think seven percent if you measure it the same way right. as as back in the eighties. So you know about double what it's currently being reported as. Um, so, yeah. uh, you know, who knows? Maybe that figure is, is wrong in some ways. The current figure is wrong in some ways. But, yeah, uh, it is interesting to look at because of, I think a lot of people's personal experience with, with inflation is that it's felt much more than the headline numbers that are being reported, especially like, you know, 3% inflation last year. I think a lot of people felt that prices rose, um, you know, more than that um, throughout last year. Yeah. But- yeah, is interesting. But anyway, Hamish, that is all I have to say on uh, China and their GDP. Uh, where should we go next? Yeah, let's uh, let's talk about corporate debt. Um, S and P Global, uh, which is kind of the uh, the the research firm of uh, uh, Standard and Poor's, they uh, they always every year take a look at um, public companies and their corporate debt and do an analysis of uh, how it's changed on a year by year basis, and we can kind of compare that to previous periods. 
And uh, they released this report yesterday. They found that corporate debt defaults in public companies soared last year uh, and could be a problem in 2024 as cash-strapped companies deal with the burden of higher interest rates, S&P Global Ratings reported on Tuesday. In 2022, uh, a total of 85 companies failed to make payments on their debt and went into default. In 2023, that number almost doubled to 153. Uh, And that figure is actually the highest default rate outside of 2020 in seven years since uh, 2016. Um, So it's actually a pretty high number that they're reporting. Um, Yeah, so if you exclude 2020, which obviously was quite abnormal, uh, the the highest uh, was previously 2016. And then the next highest before that was 2009, uh, as you might expect um, during the global financial crisis. So, um, Economics in action, hey, Hamish? Yeah, and, and, you know, that shouldn't be, I, I think, too surprising we we saw you know a pretty rapid increase in interest rates and of course that has a, a burden on um on on companies that have big uh, a, a lot of debt um and if you look at the types of companies that were defaulting it's it's not surprising i'm sure you could probably name some of the characteristics of them uh, it was mostly low rated companies so you know c rated companies with, with with debt you know rated c or below uh negative cash flow high debt burdens and weak liquidity um which uh, should not be surprising. Companies that are not making money have a lot of debt and they don't have any cash around. <laughs> so that shouldn't be really yeah. surprising at all. Uh, interestingly, um, if you look at, you can also look at kind of which sectors and industries were particularly affected. Um, by far the biggest category of uh, uh, the biggest sector that was affected was consumer facing companies. Uh, so 42% of all defaults were consumer facing companies, which is uh an interesting kind of element. And then if you look uh, within uh, consumer-facing companies, you can break it down on an industry by industry level. Uh, the biggest industry affected was media and entertainment. 31% of all defaults were in the media industry, which is um, a pretty fascinating yeah, um, statistic. Uh, that was followed by consumer products, uh, which was just under 20% of defaults and then followed um, by uh, healthcare and retail. Um, so essentially, what you're telling me there is that consumer-facing, so companies that sell stuff to consumers went bankrupt. Yeah. And within that, the uh, the biggest categories were media and entertainment, which yeah. is generally an unnecessary purchase for people. It's a small luxury. Yep. And then consumer products. So a lot, I guess, a lot of consumer products you could say are also not maybe necessary you know you go out and buy a new phone typically people don't buy a new phone because their old one doesn't work anymore they're just doing it as an upgrade and that kind of stuff so i think that makes perfect sense yeah that as interest rates went up consumers had less discretionary um income less less cash less free cash to spend um and thus those companies that sell small luxuries to consumers struggled yeah and, and, that makes you know, sense in my brain. Yeah, absolutely. And even on the supply side of the media landscape, I mean, last year was some of the biggest strikes in more than a decade that happened, the actor strikes, mm. the writer strikes, and, uh, you know, those deals that came out of that that, um, you know, meant that essentially just, you know, outside of the human element of it, the cost of labor in media rose. Um, so, you know, that, that's a kind of a supply side issue that was, you know, been difficult in media and, and, you know, more broadly, media has obviously been going through a massive shift. And whenever there's this enormous shift from one, you know, one way that people consume to another way, um, you're going to see a lot of companies struggle uh, at the bottom end um, to, to deal with that change. Um, and we've also mm. seen, you know, theatrical releases, the cinema not 
be back still uh, to pre-COVID levels. We spoke about that, you know, a few weeks ago. Um, so it's been a tough time for the media space and that isn't surprising that they're up there on, on defaults. Um, but I did think it was quite interesting that, yeah, 31% of all defaults were, um, were media companies. I thought that was quite a, quite a stat. Um, so that's 2023. Um, but S&P also kind of looks forward into 2024 and gives some insights into what they're seeing. Uh, S&P expects more defaults uh, due to slower economic growth. Um, oh, I can't remember the figure off the top of my head. I think the Fed is projecting, I want to say 1.4% GDP, real GDP growth, so GDP growth above inflation, um, which is a considerable slowdown from the previous year, uh, and higher financing costs to continue. Uh, interest rates are still... Um, pretty high. And, you know, even though there may be some interest rate cuts throughout the year, uh, you know, rates are still considerably higher than they were just a few years ago. And that obviously has a burden on companies. Uh, interesting. They also kind of noted uh, uh, the potential for something called a corporate debt cliff, <laughs> which, uh, you know, maybe you could say this is similar to what we've spoken about previously in Australia, which was the mortgage debt cliff, where, you know, we, in Australia, we have a lot of people who were on two-year fixed rate mortgages uh, that they uh, that they got or, or refinanced during uh, uh, COVID at maybe 2.5% interest rates that then suddenly shot up after their fixed rate rolled over to you know six seven percent mortgages. Uh, potentially, there's a there's a similar element to that that can happen in in corporate debt. Um, it'll be a little bit more spread out when it comes to corporations because they tend to have kind of these longer fixed period um, periods of debt. You know, maybe a five year or seven year fixed uh, interest rate on their debt. Um, but they did note that that there's this potential for a lot of companies that are struggling right now, but still have debt that has a low interest rate. When that rolls over, their ability to, you know, refinance that into another loan uh, and then meet the payments um, will be will be something to watch. You know, not just over 2024, but over the next few years um, as those as those things. Everyone start to has to look out for the refinancing crunch. Everybody, people you, you, with yeah, their- <laughs> exactly right, right. It's like households with governments have to look out for it. Companies have to look out for it. Everybody has to look out for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, different timeframes maybe, but um, depending on you know what fixed periods you've got. But yeah, basically, yes. Everybody is uh is going to be exposed to this shift in some way, uh, or another. So yeah, there you go. Nice. All right, should we move on? Yep, let's uh, let's move on. What have you got? Tell us about uh, Nvidia. Yeah, I got to tell you about this. this is quite interesting. Um, so, this is a Daily Upside article. So, shout out to the Daily Upside. Um, Nvidia wants to apply its AI expertise to more than just chips. Hamish, did you know that? Whoa. Well, let me tell you about it. Um, the company is seeking to patent a system that can infer emotion from speech in audio data using deep learning. So NVIDIA's tech, yeah, stay with me. NVIDIA's tech would use AI to figure out the probability that a person's speech lines up with a set of emotion classes. So NVIDIA said the other attempts to create AI that can read emotion often do not generalize well to speakers not used in training. Other systems also determine a single emotion for an entire segment of audio, which does not capture any variations in emotional state of a speaker during that segment. So this tech Hmm. that NVIDIA is looking to patent, it takes an audio clip that's gone through some pre-processing, remove background noise, etc. It then passes it through an emotional determination module (laughs) 
which either uses a neural network, stay with me, Hamish, <laughs> which either uses a neural network or deep learning model to classify the different emotional states of the speaker. The system may pick up on a number of emotions such as fear, joy, anger, or disgust, at disgust and place each of them on a sliding scale that can shift throughout the speech. Wow. How cool is that? That's, like, if yeah. it works, which it probably yeah, won't. Yeah. If, 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 if it works. <laughs> yeah. Well, that would be so cool. Yeah. I, I'm trying to think of, like, what's, like, the practical application of that? Like, is there, is there, is there like, an, but regardless of that, it is really interesting. And I, I was talking about, was talking to someone about this the other day, that there's just so many kind of elements of AI that I think we probably can't even imagine, you know, what the use case mm. is or even that it's even possible. And, uh, and yeah, this is, um, this is a, this is a strange one, but is there like, is there any use mm. cases for Like, what's the use case for this? Yeah. NVIDIA said, um, they, they pointed out a couple of use cases. One of them was, for example, managing, uh, customers at a call center. So okay. kind of changing the, the tone of AI and, uh, and figuring out you know, what, how angry someone is when they're calling in oh. and how to adjust the AI response, like that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Okay. That, um, that's actually really interesting. Another, yeah. So you could have like, yeah, because another, I, I guess if you have, sorry, yeah, sorry, sorry to interrupt you, if, because if you have like a real human, I guess on a call center, they can adapt to some extent to the emotions of the person. Mm. Whereas if you had an AI um, or completely automated call center, you would want, that, that actually makes perfect sense. You would actually want an AI that can tell whether someone's getting angry and how to kind of navigate that, um, which is yeah. that's actually really fascinating. I wouldn't have even because like if of you that. call up a if you if you call up a call center and you you're talking to an AI, already that annoys you because you just <laughs> want to talk to a real person. But then if the AI is like, "Sorry, I didn't catch that. Please enter." Did you mean banking? Say yes or no, and then it's like. Sorry, I didn't. Ca- it, that's just infuriating. Yeah. So it would be cool if it, it actually worked and they could do that. Um, what else did they say? Uh, just adding context into conversational AI uh, is, is yeah. another one. Uh, the company also noted that this would be useful for generating animations that line up with the speaker's emotional state. Right. So that could be interesting. Hmm. Uh, in and in addition to this patent, the company separately filed an application for audio-driven facial animation along that line uh, with machine learning-based emotional support. So this essentially picks up where the other patent, patent leaves off using speech input to generate audio-driven facial animation that is emotion accurate. Right. Wow. So that would be interesting. I don't know, like, would could this be used in... Yeah, I don't know. It's, it sounds like maybe it's just in conversation with an AI but I was yeah, thinking I, like if they needed to animate like movies or something and you could get it like a person animated more joyously or yeah I guess sad or, I, I guess know. maybe like something like if you were in the metaverse with like the headset on and you have an avatar right mm. and then it can infer from your voice how your avatar should be like what yeah. emotion that should be in in their face <laughs> I guess Hamish I'm horribly depressed and I want to talk to you about it <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly the <laughs> character's just smiling it's a permanent smiler <laughs> um oh dear yeah I, yeah I, I guess they're all I, I guess the use case is it's just another little step toe or a little a little bit of a step towards AI becoming more human I guess um uh, and being able to do some of the things yeah. that we can we can do very easily. 
Um, so yeah, interesting. Cool if it works. Yeah, cool. But cool if I don't think it will for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Hamish, why are you so angry? Hamish, why are you so angry? Relax. Hamish, why are you both sarcastic and angry? <laughs> Hamish, yeah, good, please don't use sarcasm. Yeah, good luck reading my emotions. I never. <laughs> I, just, I just talk in sarcasm. <laughs> no one can ever tell if I'm serious. Yeah, it's true. It's actually true. It's it's probably a bad habit. I feel like you, yeah. we can only do that just because we know each other so well. But, yeah. Um, it's a, a, quite an Australian thing to do, I think, as well. But we we do use sarcasm a lot. Yeah. We use sarcasm a lot. Yeah. Um, probably more than what we sh- actually should for a podcast. But, yeah, probably. Um, but, oh, well. Who um, knows? It's fun for the audience. They can try and figure out whether, we, whether we're being serious or not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you want as a podcast listener, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Confuse your audience. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Dear oh dear, Hamish. Okay. <clears throat> so that's Nvidia's new patent. What next, yeah. Hamish? Let's uh yeah, let's talk about Apple and uh and Epic Games. This has been a very, very long uh running legal battle, which has reached a conclusion. Uh, although there are some uh some, some additional uh developments that uh, I'll uh, I'll talk about as well. To give a bit of a background. Uh, so, of course, Apple uh, has had this rule in its app store where developers were forced to use uh, Apple's billing system. And through that billing system, Apple would collect a 15 to 30% commission on in-app purchases. Uh, so basically, uh, also developers were banned from telling users that prices would be cheaper if they purchased outside of the the app and just on the web. So a fun, a fun example of this was Facebook Marketplace, which of course Facebook doesn't take any commissions on sales. It's like eBay, but there's no uh, no commissions. Um, uh, uh, basically, of course, if, if they if people finalize their purchases through the Apple iPhone app, Apple would take their commission, which was kind of hilarious because Facebook wasn't even making money off it, and Facebook put just a note in the checkout saying that Apple is taking a fee and that Facebook wasn't even taking a fee and Apple blocked the app until they changed it. So they weren't even allowed to just tell people, uh, that, uh, that about the commission, basically, like it was, it was Apple basically stopping anybody from, from telling them about the commission Uh, and Epic games, um, took a stance against Apple. So uh, they purposefully put a button inside their uh, game Fortnite, which allowed users to bypass Apple's commission. Apple, of course, blocked the app. Um, this was all done on purpose so that Epic uh, Games could then sue Apple under antitrust uh, law. Uh, they accused Apple of acting as an illegal uh, monopolist by requiring requiring uh, consumers to get apps through its app store and buy digital content inside an app uh, using its own system. We already had a decision uh, previously from this. The court actually rejected Epic's claim that Apple was a monopolist for not allowing a- other app stores to be used on the iPhone, for example. But they did also find that Apple did violate California's unfair competition law by barring developers from, uh, quote, steering users uh, to make digital purchases in other ways. So um, they were saying it, it was uh, it was anti-competitive for them to you know, stop uh, Epic Games from telling people that they could or directing them to sign up but elsewhere. they've got options. Yeah, so all of that had already previously happened. What happened today was both Epic and Apple were appealing the decision to the Supreme US Supreme Court because the decision was kind of like a middle ground. Both of them were not happy with the decision and the US Supreme Court declined to take up any appeals uh, on the case, uh, bringing an end to the saga. Oh. 
so Apple will allow app makers to sell, uh, app makers selling uh, to US customers to add links and buttons inside their app to bring users to an outside website where they can pay with a credit card. So uh, you can um, put a button in and direct people outside of Apple's billing system. But Apple also now requires that a company uh, offer um, uh, Apple's billing system. So it can't be like a, an alternative. It can't be. Uh, it can't replace Apple's billing system. They have to offer both. Um, and it was kind of funny because Apple found a loophole around this anyway. Um, Apple now says that iPhone and iPad developers have to apply for a new software tool called an entitlement, where if they want to offer a link or a button to an external website, Apple will collect a 27% commission, <laughs> um, which is a completely brand new tax uh, that didn't previously exist. Previously, if you... Uh, you know, went outside of the, the the app and went on your iPhone into Safari and you went into the web and you signed up, there would be no fee. Now there's a fee, um, which is kind of funny because at the end, they've kind of expanded um, their, uh, their, their, their commissions um, because of th- this, um, this ruling. Um, so uh, obviously Crazy. I think, you know, everyone is kind of a little bit unhappy about this. Epic Games said that, you know, it was a good step in the right direction, but it's still... Um, you know, not fantastic, you know, at, at the very least Epic games can tell their users that, um, that Apple is, you know, taking a commission and that, you know, if they just go through the website or they somewhere, somewhere else, if they go on a computer, then, um, they won't get the commission. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's not far enough in, in Epic games opinion. Um, yeah, that's the, that was as long as they could advertise, on their own app that they that users could sign up online away from the app and get a discount. Like if if not even that was allowed, then I'd be like, oh my gosh. Yeah, I think that's but, probably my view on it. I think you know it's Apple's it's Apple's hardware. I think they should probably be able to do mostly what they want, especially because there are real security risks uh, potentially with their customers and allowing their customers to sign up or, or to download apps outside of the Apple App Store. You could definitely make that argument. But I think where I personally draw the line is limiting information about products and services to customers. Um, you should always be allowed yeah. to tell customers and give them the full picture. Um, so stopping, yeah. you know, having a line that says, um, you know, Apple's taking a commission or you can sign up to Spotify on the website and you won't pay 30% more because Apple's taking their cut. I think, you know, little things, I think that's where I draw the line. Like that's pretty anti-competitive yeah. to just stop an information flow to customers. That's that's my kind of personal view on it. Yeah. Yeah, it's essentially just taking advantage of your customers, of your customer base, yeah. not, not giving them the full picture so that hopefully you're duping them into just believing that this is the only way. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. they have to pay a 30% tax. Yeah. Sorry, you just have to. And oh, uh, you don't have to, but we don't have to tell you. Yeah, and so Apple probably mostly won, I think, out of that legal battle in the end. Nothing really changed yeah. all that dramatically. However, uh, one battle's over, another one begins. Uh, the U.S. Department of Justice Woo-hoo. is about to launch their own antitrust lawsuit against Apple. Uh, it's expected to come as soon as March this year. And the case will reportedly focus on software and hardware limitations on iPhones and iPads that impede competitive services, which uh, I would say very likely includes um, uh, their, their 13 to 50% commission, uh, and how far they go in terms of claiming what's allowed and what's not allowed. We don't really know yet. Um, you know, obviously it could go as far as saying Apple needs to allow other app stores on iPhone, which, um, you know, maybe it goes that far, but, um, yeah, it could, 
be just uh, it, it, it could be less. Uh, I guess we'll find out the details of that in a couple of months. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Man, I I hate the yeah that whole Apple that it just annoys me. I I agree with you, Hamish. I think that it's like generally I'm like, well, a private company, you know, or a public company, what you know, make make a product, you can do whatever you want, but if you're starting to really take advantage of your monopolistic position and bully others, um, and you know, screw over consumers with this 30% tax, then that's where I don't really like it as much. Yeah. I, I think that the Facebook marketplace, uh, kind of, uh, like jab that, uh, that, that meta platforms did, I think was just very funny. I, I think that that exposed, I think to me in a way, just how egregious Apple is with that, because it was literally a yeah. lot. It was a, a text line on the, that just said, Apple takes a 30% commission Facebook makes no money from your sale. And even that wasn't allowed, which is, I thought was, uh, I thought that was kind of funny. Bonkers, bonkers, mate. Anyway, there we go, mm-hmm. team. That is the news for this week. Thanks very much for tuning in. As always, um, we'll be back in your ears with another podcast very soon in the next couple of days. And uh, of course, tune in next week as we shall continue with next week's news topics. Th- thanks as always to Hamish for joining me. Um, and with that said, I guess I'm not used to these fast outros, Hamish. I'm really not used to it. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. Cut it. See you guys next time. See you guys.